If you're looking to make a quick, disingenuous, fraud-ridden fortune, consider founding a sham organization based on a false narrative and loads of white guilt. It sure worked for BLM and its founder, Patrice Cullors. The show starts now. nice things in life, you have two choices, work hard and earn them or steal from others. And if you choose option two, you may go to jail or you may still be elevated on a pedestal, just depends on your politics. So what does an organization built on a lie and bolstered by years of riots, looting and white guilt get you? Well, if you're BLM founder Patrice Cullors, it not only gets you a $1.4 million Southern California estate, it also gets you backyard renovations for that estate that include a child's play area and a deep plunge pool perfect for washing dirt money. Patrice Cullors resigned from BLM Inc. in May of 2021 after it was revealed she went on a four-property spending spree and used donations to pay a company owned by her baby daddy nearly one million bucks for live production design and media. But of course, she passed off criticism of her lavish expenditures as right-wing bullying because that's what these activists cry when they get called on their blatantly fraudulent behavior. Nothing is ever their fault and all of their actions are always justified because they've tricked the black square posting world into believing that questioning their fishy behavior must be racist. How else could BLM Global rake in more than 90 million bucks after the death of George Floyd without ever disclosing what that money was for or where the hell it went? The BLM-inspired riot season of 2020 and the arson, vandalism, and looting that it created between May 26th and June 8th when COVID took a hiatus caused approximately $1 to $2 billion in damages nationally, the highest recorded damage from civil disorder in U.S. history and surpassing the record set during the 1992 Los Angeles riots. So perhaps those BLM global coffers should now be audited, confiscated, and turned back to the taxpayers who are still funding the repair and cleanup effort needed after that summer of St. Floyd love. But nope, instead it's going towards mansions for the organization's scam artist founders and God only knows what else. And I wish we could just blame BLM for this, but let's be honest, this scam was funded and would have been made possible if not for the phony black square posting social justice warriors of social media who hemorrhaged crocodile tears and cash into an organization that was and always has been based on a lie. Gotta love the white guilt industrial complex, right? But up next, he's a former Green Beret who lost his sister to abduction and murder. But now he's dedicated his life to ending the trafficking and exploitation of children. Matt Murphy of Operation Lightshine is here next. Human trafficking and child exploitation. Boy, you'd think there would be a bipartisan desire to root it out and end it at all costs. But sadly, that doesn't always seem to be the case because trafficking and exploitation is a global issue. But our wide open southern border only makes matters worse. Across the world, more than 40.3 million people are trapped in slavery. One of four of those victims is a child. Thank goodness there are good people out there willing to put boots on the ground to fight for those who can't fight for themselves. Operation Lightshine is that organization, and its founder and my next guest has used his own personal and painful tragedy to save countless lives. Joining me now is Matt Murphy, a former Green Beret who carried his passion and expertise fighting evil into his post-military mission after his own sister was abducted and murdered in 2019. So, Matt, you have to tell me about that. Because um, yeah. I, I can only imagine 
Mm. You've already had a dedication because of your military career right. for, for fighting for those who can't fight for themselves, for protecting and defending freedom and liberty, no matter what that looks like. Right. But you have to tell me about your personal experience because I can only imagine that that magnified it times a million. Uh, it did. You know, uh, I fought in Iraq, Syria, Afghanistan, places I can't even say on camera, you know, at least not yet. And it's you see trafficking, you, you see bad things happen, but you know our mission is counterterrorism. We're not really allowed to get involved in like local affairs or you right. know, be the local police. Uh, but you know my world was flipped upside down uh, back home on November fifth, two thousand nineteen. I, I get a call from my mom that my sister had disappeared. Um, you know that was it was shocking at first because you know I know my sister had been living a bad life she had been caught up in this you know fentanyl and drug epidemic that's affecting this whole nation and she you know the worse the drugs get the worse the people get but she had never disappeared that, that I had known of uh, so we found out that day a, a guy picked her up I can't say his name just because of the, the right. legal situation and 30 minutes later her cell phone never touched a tower again and that's when you know the investigation started the rumors started the the started to learn more about her life and, and what could have happened to her, you know, we still don't know. We know how she was killed, but when and how, you know, and that or what happened to her up until that point, we just don't know yet. And there's just lack of answers, lack of witnesses. And, and her story is, is, is too common in this country right now. Um, so I found out. And then um, December 4th, 2019, her, her body was found in a river by some guys hunting in Mississippi. Wow. Um, you know, it was hell to go through. Um, you know, to see, watch what happens to your parents, your family, the, the grief. Sometimes you blame them because of the decisions they made. And right. then you blame yourself for not being able to do anything. Like, here I am, a Green Beret, fought terrorism all over the world, worked for multiple government agencies, have been able to do all this stuff, you know, all this stuff to, to fight terrorism and get bad guys. And then I come home and I can't do anything. To, to help my own sister, that 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 messed me up. Right. Messed well, I me can't up. imagine how difficult that is. But you're right; it is a common story, mm. and it's becoming an increasingly common story mm. as our country is being ravaged not only by an open border, but by the epidemic of fentanyl and drugs coming in mm. largely through that southern border. I want to mm. ask you though about Operation Lightshine because yeah. I've been following your organization. And you guys do amazing things. You know, we've kept in touch over the years. And I know the extent that you guys go, not just to talk about the issues, but actually go create a solution. Yeah, it, it, it's been probably the most rewarding and amazing ride of my life. You know, after my sister's death, COVID came, you know, shortly after. And, you know, we were, we had nothing to do. I was in the Army. They pulled me out of operations to be there for my family. I was an instructor, barely working. Then when COVID came, didn't even work, just got a paycheck. And I just became a hopeless drunk, you know, blaming myself, depression. For the first time in 17 years, here I am processing all the stuff that happened, you know, to my sister, processing, you know, all the loss and pain from war. And, um, you know, there was a couple times I had a gun in my hand. I was, I was ready to end it all. You know, just in that that dark state, just alone in an apartment, you know, in downtown Nashville. Um, but what saved me was I prayed one day. I just prayed, and then I, I started looking into to human trafficking because those were all the rumors around my sister. Mm -hmm. And I saw that there's charities fighting it, and that guys like me with backgrounds like me have, have started things and are doing stuff all over the world. But then I was like, why is no one doing anything here in the states? You know, right. that pissed me off. 
And um, I just, it's like, I'm gonna start a charity. You know, I had no clue what I was doing. I Googled it, started a charity, but I knew what I was doing to like do good things and fight. I knew how operations worked, but I, I didn't know the first thing. I didn't know what I didn't know when it came to human trafficking. And then I learned about child exploitation, which is a thousand times worse here. So let's in the talk States. about the difference between yeah. that because a lot of people hear child exploitation mm -hmm. yeah. and human trafficking and they think that they're one and the same, but that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. I think they can be combined. No but they, they often live separately. Yeah, so human trafficking is usually driven by money. You know, these people who don't have, usually a sexual addiction or perversion, it's just money. So a lot of the people that, um, you know, around the world that operate in like, you know, uh, criminal organizations, organized crime, terrorist groups, you know, you, they fund their operations with drugs. And you can sell a drug, but you sell a drug once. A user uses it and then it's done. Now you've created a client, but a person you can sell over and over and over again. And people pay outrageous amounts of money depending on the color of skin or the age or the color of their hair. I mean, it's, it's a global, people are a global commodity at this point. Um, so, so that's the trafficking side. Now, child exploitation is dark, and this is the one that most people in America turn away from. They don't even want to acknowledge because, you know, traditionally child exploitation was happening like it was the dad, it was the uncle, the baseball mm -hmm. coach, the preacher, the youth pastor that, that had access to the kids, the people that we trust, people that we allow our kids around, and then they, you know, were uh, doing sexual things to children. And that's kind of the, it still happens and it's very prevalent. But now child exploitation has taken a whole nother life because of the internet. And the second right. you hand your child a phone, you open them up to the world. And the good things in the world, but also the bad. And most people don't know that. So sexual extortion is a huge one where people will pretend to be uh, you know, children their age or people their age, get them into fake romantic online relationships, get them to sexually abuse themselves and take that imagery and then send it to them. And at some point the child protests and then when they get to that protest point, that's when the extortion starts, the blackmail starts. We've seen an uptick in suicides around the country from that. Just the Intercept Task Force here in Nashville gets about six to seven leads on sexual extortion a week. Really? And it's getting out of control. And then you have the child sexual abuse material that's shared online. I think there's over 132 million files on the internet right now of graphic child sexual abuse of a prepubescent teen. You know what's really weird to yeah. me, and I have to jump in on this. Yeah. I've been spending the last several days of my shows, mm -hmm. honestly, the last months of my shows, talking about big tech and talking mm -hmm. about how they censor vaccine critical information, how they censor conservative voices, they censor Donald Trump, people that they just quite frankly don't like. Mm -hmm. What boggles my mind is that they tell us that they can't get rid of the child porn in the internet. They can't get rid of that. You can get rid of all the COVID misinformation, somebody being critical or explaining a very real world situation whether they had a vaccine side effect. That's mm -hmm. deemed bad for the public well-being. No. But they're telling us they really can't cleanse all this filth from the internet. They can. So they, they hide it under the guise of privacy and encryption, right? And they spend millions, if not billions of dollars lobbying Congress to protect the privacy of people. Meanwhile, they can see everything that we say. They know everything that we do. Every single thing that we think, we look at, we Google, we search is exploited and sold for advertisements and dollars. They, they know everything that we do. They even know your eye movement as you look at the phone and what makes you pay attention, when to send you notifications and what notification to send you to keep you glued to it. They know. But the problem is, is that if they acknowledged how bad child exploitation has become and trafficking has become, if they allowed 
the police to do what they need to do to get around the encryption and to get through all of these mechanisms that they the predators use to get to our children, then they could be held liable in court. And because of that, and the lawsuits and the windfall that would come to that, you know, Mike, Mark Zuckerberg just lost about half his fortune. I think he'd probably lose the other half if the truth came out. Uh, but big tech, meanwhile, I don't think all people in big tech are evil, but big tech is just as guilty for this mm -hmm. problem because they're allowing it to happen. If Facebook and Instagram and other, like Snapchat, actually did something to stop child predators and this uh, sexual abuse of children, almost overnight the problem that we're facing would stop. And then now we add a, a whole new element to that, which is the grooming mm -hmm. of children. Yes. So now, I mean, that didn't used to be such a thing. Mm -hmm. It was always there were sexual predators that were grooming, but now mm -hmm. it's not just grooming for sexual favors or exploitation. Mm -hmm. Now it's, you don't know what you are, cut off body parts, don't mm -hmm. tell your parents that you wanna be this, that, and the other. You add, And that's also, in my opinion, exploitation. I think it's exploiting it people who are too young mm -hmm. to understand what they're doing, too young to understand what they're consuming. Now they have the, you're not supposed to call people pedophiles anymore, you're supposed to call them minor attracted persons. Yeah. You know, they've legitimized a real sickness. Mm -hmm. But we could talk about that all day. Yeah. I wanna go back to what you guys are doing. And right. what you're doing, especially now we've been hearing about what's going on in, in Russia and Ukraine yeah. for so long, you know, almost a year at this point. But you guys recently just rescued um, orphans from Ukraine. Tell mm -hmm. me a little bit about that, because that's been very yeah. recent in here in the Nashville area. Yeah, so uh, there was a, a local guy named Scooter Brown. He's a country artist. Right. And him and his wife had, I forget the name of a program. It's where the kid comes over and stays with you for like a period of six to nine months, and then they go back to their country. And they were in the process of adopting this child. And obviously he went back to Ukraine and then the war kicked off. So the, the caretaker of the orphanage that the child was living in had left the orphanage and gone to the city of Kiev about two and a half hours away from where the orphanage was to get the adoption paperwork for the 60 plus children in this orphanage. A lot of them were going to America and other countries and Scooter's soon to be adopted son was one of the kids at the orphanage. So she had gone to Kiev and they used to get under rocket, rocket attacks and bomb attacks. And we had been working at that time with uh, Secret Service, uh, special military units within Ukraine to help us with extraction of orphans. But the war really started to escalate and they had to push pretty much every man to the front line. Right. So we've got this lady trapped in a bunker in Kiev and no assets you know, to, uh, to get to her. So we had to create our own. We found a taxi driver who had uh, lost his wife, I think about two nights before, two nights before, lost his wife in the war in a bombing attack. And he's like, you know what? I'm just gonna rescue people. So he was driving his taxi in and out of rocket fire and bombing runs, rescuing people, just getting people to safety. We contacted him and two 20-year-old girls that were in our network that were helping orphans. They went into Kiev under rocket fire, rescued this caretaker with the two kids that were with her out of this bunker with all the adoption paperwork. And we called it Operation Grandma's House because we were able to extract her from the city two hours away, literally to one of the girls' grandmother's house. Wow. And uh, then another bus went to pick up the kids from the orphanage, and then they were all linked back up together at a McDonald's in Poland. And, um, you know, the, the next part of the story, we had to go back in for another rescue and to get passports to get the right. kids out. It, it's, it's just a mess. Uh, but the long and short of it is, is, is any time there's a war or there's a problem, Afghanistan, you know, I don't even know how many thousands of people we've rescued uh, there since it started. We're still 
conducting rescues of interpreters, people who fought for women's rights. Unfortunately, we're not able to get them all before the Taliban gets to them. You know, um, it's just a horrible situation. Ukraine's the same way. Um, there's just problems and terror and destruction and, and, and people in trouble all over the world, you know, and, and we have assets, we have resources, we have amazing partners that, that help us, you know, conduct all these operations because it, it's it's not about me and it's not about Operation Lightshine. You know, I'm not trying to be famous. I'm not trying to, you know, become a celebrity or a star like, you know, so many other people that have done this have. I don't care. Like, this is the first time I've even done an interview, you know, uh, honestly. All I care about is us getting the mission accomplished. So, you know, we partnered with the Tim Tebow Foundation, Lantern Rescue, Child Rescue Coalition, the National Child Protection Task Force, Crisis Aid. We, we partner with anyone that we believe is righteous in this fight, has the capability, and is on mission with us. And because of those partnerships, we've been able to affect change, rescues all over the world. But what's near and dear to my heart right now is, is the change that we're making here in the United States. Tell me about that. Tell me what you think we're going to see in the next several years, because we've got, you know, a perfect storm, in my opinion, headed our we, way we with this this open border. I mean, millions of they're already saying two million, probably far more since mm -hmm. Biden took office. Uh, in fact, more than that, the population equivalent of Ireland has come through our southern mm -hmm. border since Biden took office. Those are the ones we know of, That's by the way. Right. And a lot of those people have been exploited right. either for labor or for sex or one way or another. They have been used. They are pawns in a game. What do you think, though, the ramifications are going to be with that in the next year, two years, three years, five years? Well, I can, I can tell you the situation right now. Right now, uh, since 1998, we have 123,000 reports of child trafficking. Since 1998, we also have 132 million reports of child sexual abuse and exploitation. That outnumbers trafficking 1,000 to 1. Police are only able to, and this is by an estimate, it's probably lower, only able to investigate less than 1% of child sexual exploitation cases here in the United States. These are our kids, our American children being exploited, raped, and abused here in the, our country. And the videos and images of them are shared all over the world. Now, it's not just a crime problem, it's a public health crisis. Can you imagine the amount of money, resources, therapy, time, safe havens, and aftercare programs that we're gonna have to have to even address that, you know, let alone a refugee crisis? So, we trafficking is a tough one. It is a very tough one to talk about because it's operated by organized crime. It's operated through cartels and all kinds of other entities outside the United States. They're brought into the United States. So they technically don't exist. There's Most of these people, there's no one that's missing, right? right. There's nothing to report. So to put a number on it is almost impossible. Now, a lot of organizations and charities have, have attempted to do that through estimates and best guesses, but no one really knows the full scale and the full truth other than that it's out of control and then something needs to be done. So with that being said, we can't even, with our current state here in the United States, address the problems that exist with our own people adequately. We're able to investigate less than 1% of child sexual abuse cases. Human trafficking cases, we don't even have an estimate to what we're even able to get to. And most of the stuff you see on the news, it's not actually human trafficking. When you see these big arrests and these big um, you know, stings that are happening, they're arresting Johns. You know, it's an ad that gets right. posted online. A guy responds to it. Now, this guy's not a good person. He's trying to have sex usually with an of-age girl or underage girl, but he's not actually trafficking people. No one's going after 
the organized crime and the cartels and the people that are actually trafficking people. that are people. providing it. Right, and, and then I don't really even care about the bad guys right now. It's what, rescue the victims. Right. Rescue the innocent. Just get them out. Get them but into if you safety. Don't, if you don't mm-hmm. cut the head off the snake, mm-hmm. it's never going to stop. They will find right. more victims because, as you said about people, yeah. there is an unlimited supply. Right. And unfortunately, like you said, because we mm-hmm. have all these illegal immigrants coming in, largely unaccompanied minors, mm-hmm. they aren't really on the books, so to speak. Exactly. So they can be exploited right. ten times over off the books. Right. And people don't realize that when you invite that into your country and you, you create that magnet, you are creating also a magnet for exploitation and trafficking mm-hmm. of these individuals. Now, I'm not saying that things that are going on in their home country are great and rosy, mm-hmm. but you are now allowing them to come to this country and maybe back and forth, back and forth. Because I know when I went down to the border during the Trump administration, there was a zero tolerance policy and Donald Trump got a lot of grief for that. But he said, listen, we have zero tolerance because what you're doing, because now you want to say, oh, separate families, People are coming across, that's not necessarily their kid. They might be coming across with the kid to get over easier, right. and then they're taking that kid back and forth and back and forth. Who knows what's happening on the way? No one it's does. It's irresponsible, yeah. and it's disgusting. Yeah, well, they can't get a job legally, first of all. You know, um, there's so many possibilities with that, and there's so many bad things that can happen. But here's the other part of the problem, and this is really what Operation Lightshine is trying to change here in the United States, is our law enforcement right now, they're getting spit on and treated like soldiers returning from Vietnam right now. It's just unacceptable. Mm-hmm. They're understaffed, under-resourced, underfunded, under-trained. They, they are, police are quitting every day because of the way they're treated, because of how overworked they are, because of how their hands are tied behind their backs and able to do the job that they signed up to do, which is to keep our country safe. So. I, uh, early on in Operation Lightshine, while we're doing all this stuff overseas, I, I partnered with a gentleman named Jim Cole. He's uh, one of the foremost child exploitation uh, agents in the world. He's the chairman of child crimes uh, for Interpol, just uh, an exceptional human being and investigative expert in this field. And after he told me every idea I had was stupid or it would get me arrested, which is literally what happened. I walk into this you know, office full of FBI and Homeland Security agents and I'm like, I'm gonna do some vigilante stuff. I'm gonna get the boys yeah. together. We're gonna get the hackers and the intel <laughs> you know, guys from the, you know, out of the shop and we're just gonna go rescue kids. And they're like, Matt, that's, we'll arrest you, that's illegal. And I'm like, well, all right, well, uh-huh. sign me up for jail. No, <laughs> yeah. I, I, didn't, no I didn't say that. But, uh, but that's, that's how passionate I was about it. But Jim's like, look, Matt, if you really want to make a difference, if you really want to help, then you have to help law enforcement. Yep. So we've created this intercept task force here in, in Nashville, Tennessee. No one even knows it's there. We haven't even told anybody. I guess it's, well, here, here we are. Uh, so in the in intercept task force, we're in a direct partnership with Homeland Security. So they're human trafficking and their child exploitation agents are in an office that we pay for, that we furnish, that we pay put the power bill, the internet, everything. Uh, and that's just the start here, here in Nashville. We have other partners that have joined from other local and um, you know counties and cities around, and more are coming every day because they see it works. And we're providing the technology, the resources, the tools, the equipment, and the training, and everything that they don't have, even on the federal government side, everything right. that they're missing in order to be able to not just be reactive like they are now, not to be sitting under a pile of cases, you know, a thousand files high, but we want to help them get rid of those cases with technology and all the latest and greatest that's out there. But then we want them to be proactive in helping people. Because if there's a child suffering, we should be looking under every rock. Mm-hmm. Sorry for that. <laughs> for every rock 
to save them. But right now, because they're so overwhelmed, understaffed, under-resourced, under-funded, under-trained, and people are quitting every day, they're just, they're working themselves into the ground. So I think it's another mm -hmm. important point when people mm -hmm. say things like defund the police, that's all encompassing. Um, you're taking not only people off the streets to protect the, the backyards and the streets and the, the deal with the crime and the lawlessness, but also people that are protecting our children. Yeah. But the partnership that you guys are doing is, is truly incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, we're so happy to have you in Nashville. Mm -hmm. And I know you've got a lot of wonderful support here. I see it all over. I mean, you've got star-studded support from the Nashville area. We do. But you guys are doing Bless. amazing things. And you just mm -hmm. got to work and you did it. A lot of people talk mm -hmm. about things. They raise a lot of money, but they don't mm -hmm. do. And you guys mm -hmm. do. So we appreciate you and appreciate that. please let us know, yeah. you know, how things are coming along. Yeah. You're welcome back here anytime because we want to know how things are progressing and how Thank many you. people you guys have saved. Well, yeah, right now we're at 45, Homeland Security has rescued 45 children just in the Nashville area. The model's proven itself and works so well with our partnership and our technology. We just got approved for the Attorney General on down to expand through the entire state of Florida. We're in talks with 13 other governors and their states to expand. Uh, we're going to take this nationwide. We're going to rescue as many kids as we can. And nobody's going to tell me no or stop me. I think that's a perfect way to end it. God bless you and everything that you do and your mission. Mm -hmm. And thank you for turning personal tragedy into something that is going to help so many people. Thank so we you. appreciate having you. We want you back as well. Yeah, I appreciate that. All right, staying in the same vein, still ahead. Her son was murdered by an illegal immigrant, and now she's running for Arizona State House to make some changes. Angel Mom and Angel Families founder Marianne Mendoza joins me next. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless from researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience. Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. My next guest lost her son in 2014 after a drunk driving illegal immigrant hit his police car and killed him. But since, she's been on a mission to not only advocate for other Angel families, but also make our border more secure for all Americans. Founder of Angel Families, Marianne Mendoza, joins me now. Marianne, thank you so much for being with me. And more than that, thank you so much for being an advocate for all those other Angel moms and Angel families out there. So tragically lost their family members to people who have no legal right to be in our country in the first place. It absolutely infuriates me. Yes, and there's so many of us, Tommy, you know, so many parents and uh, family members are just too afraid to stand up and speak out because of the hate that comes back, you know, on us for speaking the truth and letting our fellow Americans know what's really happening behind the scenes and what, 
um, this corrupt government's doing. We have hope during the Trump administration because of everything that he was doing, you know, keeping the people in Mexico um, till their fake asylum hearings were coming up because none of them really qualified for that. But the moment that Joe Biden stepped into that uh, the White House and started signing all these executive orders, we knew the devastation that was going to be coming. And not only from illegals who kill Americans, but the fentanyl poisoning and how many Americans are being affected by that. You know, Marianne, oftentimes I hear the other side say that illegal immigrants actually commit less crimes than Americans. And I say, listen, if you have no legal right to be in the country and you commit any crime, that's a, a huge problem for me, especially when it results in a family member like yours being killed, taken off this earth, especially somebody who committed his life to law enforcement. I can't imagine how difficult that was for you, but I know you've got your wonderful son behind you. And I also have a, a post from Donald Trump, who I know wrapped his arms around your family and really advocated for not only your family, but other angel families. Can you tell me what it was like meeting with, with Donald Trump and what message he gave to you? Well, I met with him many times, Tommy, um, spoke at his first rally here in Phoenix in 2015 and spoke at many more rallies after that and then worked with him throughout his administration, um, you know, was invited to the White House to have uh, roundtables talking about sanctuary policies that were happening throughout our country, talking with sheriffs who were fighting against that notion. And, uh, you know, really, I was I was amazed at how much uh, President Trump, he remembered each one of our names. He remembered our children's names. He fought. He was an authentic man who really cares about Americans and what is happening in our country. And that gave us hope for four years, for five years, even during his campaign. We had hope that finally a, a, a politician, somebody who could make a difference was actually talking about angel families. They talk about illegals being in living in the shadows in our country. That is exactly what they have forced angel families to do now, especially under the Biden administration. They won't even acknowledge that we exist. They won't let us participate in any of their conversations, which, you know, that was something that President Trump did. He let us participate in, in thoughts and ideas and, and what changes could be made. And we appreciated him immensely. Well, you know, when Donald Trump famously said that Mexico isn't sending their best, he was exactly right. And especially now that we've got a wide open border, it's attracting all walks of life from all corners of the world. And are the, a lot of those people, good people who just want to work? I'm sure. Absolutely. But who is slipping through the cracks is the biggest issue that I have with this. And like you, I've spent some time at the border uh, in Arizona, as a matter of fact, with Border Patrol agents during the Trump administration. And I'll tell you that we didn't see a lot of activity because there was a message that went out to not only Mexico, but the world, hey, don't come to the United States of America illegally. It's not going to work out well for you. You're going to have to go back to Mexico. You're going to remain there. Don't even bother with a bogus asylum claim. We're not going to deal with it. And that was the message. Zero tolerance. And it was working. And then you mentioned Joe Brandon comes into office and everything goes down the tubes. But I know that you are not only advocating for angel families, you're also running for Arizona State House because you want to make some changes. And Arizona is a really important state. It always has been, but especially now. I think they had some time in your state where they decided they wanted to go blue and then they saw the ramifications of that and now they're back to purple. But what do you see happening not only in your race, but in Arizona as far as the political implications of this administration and how your voters are going to make their decisions? Well, the redistricting took my district and split it in half. So it basically created a new district where I am. And so we've got um, two Democrats running against myself and um 
Kathy Pierce, who is my running mate for the two seats in the House that we have here in my district. And then they have a Democrat running against uh, Robert Scantleberry, who's running for Arizona State House in my district. And they are spending tons of money. I mean, for an Arizona State representative position, they're even doing TV ads. And this is just unheard of in, in this uh landscape here in, in Arizona politics. So, uh, you know, we've traced the money back to where it's coming from for their campaign. And it's very dark, evil money. And it's a hateful campaign. And every piece of mail-in that goes out January 6th uh, at the Capitol's in the background, uh, voters, how dangerous and extreme I am. And um, it, it, it's just laughable, actually, to see that, that that's really all they have to go on. Um, when it, when the you know when you flip it around extreme and the dangerous ones because they're all about um, aborting babies even up until the time of birth how how dangerous and extreme they're all about open borders and you know this isn't only about protecting American lives this is about protecting the children uh, there's over six hundred and fifty thousand unaccompanied minors who are under this administration's uh, direction and. They are handing these children out like candy to unvetted people who are unrelated to these people, paying them $15,000 a month to sponsor these children. This is that's dangerous. That's extreme. And these are the type of people that we're running against. This is um, this is a very moderate um, Christian community that we live in. And I don't believe that the uh, majority of people who live here in Mesa, in my district, are going to go for extreme radicals like that who are, are okay with killing babies up until the time of birth. And they're all about equity. You know, we're about a third Democrat, a third Republican, and a third independent here in my district. So door knocking every single day and getting out there and talking face to face with the independent voters is where this game is going to be won. And believe it or not, most of those independent voters asked pretty quickly if I engage with them and they answered the door, are you Republican or Democrat? And I say, I'm a Republican. And they said, okay, we'll talk to you. If you were a Democrat, we were going to slam the door in your face. So this is a good indication that our community is tired of these reckless, um, you know, Democrats who think that they're going to save the world when actually they are decimating our country. Well, they are. And being in a border state, it's even more important that you guys have leadership in your state. And then hopefully at some point again in the White House that was going to protect these border states and border communities. But I want to talk about another race that has been really top of headlines. And that's Carrie Lake if we are gubernatorial race. Now, listen, she is a bulldog. She does not back down. She does not let anybody control that narrative for her. What do you think? Because you're in Arizona, the word on the street, the feeling that you're getting, the vibe you're getting from fellow Republicans as well as just fellow Arizonans. What do you think is going to happen in that race? And do you think she's going to be successful? So, Tommy, it's the same feeling uh, anywhere I go to see Carrie speak, because Carrie and I are very good friends. I knew her from when she was at the TV station. She reported on my son's death. Um, it's a very high energy. It's like a Trump rally. Anytime you go anywhere where Carrie is, it's, it's unbelievable the crowds that she draws. She's a very um, kind and sincere person. And I'm very, very excited to be working with her. We've had some really uh, top heavy hitters from the Trump administration come here and meet with some of us candidates and Carrie Lake and talk about how they're going to help with the situation at the border. And listen, we need a governor who's got a backbone. Backbone. Doug Ducey has never had a backbone when it comes to the security of our border. And if when Carrie Lake declares it an invasion at our border, we are going to be able to do things as a state to protect not only our citizens, 
but so many people across the United States, Tommy, over 105,000 people have died in the last fiscal year from um, fentanyl poisoning. Eight, over 87% of the fentanyl that comes into our country comes over the border in Arizona. Now, if we could secure that border and its legislators pass what we need to do and save 105,000 lives in this next year, we could be a beacon of hope for this country. You know, Arizona has the ability and the possibility to become a beacon of hope, just like Florida is to so many in the United States. When you have a good governor and you have the right legislators in office, it's amazing what can happen to a state and how your citizens can be can safe, they can feel heard, and they can feel truly represented. Last thing I want to ask you is about our, our borders czar, Kamala, who I don't think has actually been to the actual border besides just a photo op here and there. And then, of course, she had to head out. But, you know, she talks a lot about addressing the root causes. And I know that you have something to say about that because you're in Arizona and because you've been to the border and because your family has been personally affected by illegal immigration. When you hear her say root causes, what is your rebuttal to that? And what do you think the actual root causes are? Well, the the Biden administration is the root cause for for this mass immigration, illegal immigration that's coming. Um, I follow some coyotes and stuff on Facebook just to see what's going on with um, caravans and things like that. And I and I came across a very interesting conversation that was happening from men from El Salvador saying our country is so safe. We have so much tourism. Um, we're building the largest library in Central America. We're bu building the largest stadium in Central America. Life is good. Um, all these other people from some Central American countries were chiming in. And quite frankly, you know, it's the money that comes from these people who are here illegally that goes to these countries. In 2020, over $80, million, $80 billion left our economy, Tommy during the pandemic and went in remittances, which is money that illegals send home to their families. Now, some of that $80 billion does represent money that legal immigrants here in the country send, but the super majority of that is illegals. And they send that money home to their families. That represents way more money than the United States sends in foreign aid to those countries. So what leader in any of those countries where this money is stoking their economy and allowing these great things to happen, stadiums, libraries, safety happen in their countries, why would they stop them from leaving? And right now at the border in Yuma, there are no longer any people coming over from Mexico or Central America. It is people from Yemen, from Bangladesh, from um, Poland, from Ukraine, from Russia. I mean, this has opened up the floodgates to the world and this is all because of a reckless administration that we have who does not care about human lives whatsoever. They're all about trafficking humans. And, you know, they've got to impeach Mayorkas. We, we just we need big changes in this country. To save lives, I mean. You know, I, I fight tirelessly for American lives, but we have to always remember the perils and the danger that these people go through trying to get here. I see pictures in the Darien jungle of these small children with mud up to their waist, dried mud, just in diapers and a t-shirt. And these people trekking through this dangerous jungle to get here. And then you hear stories about their, you know, killing children in those jungles and harvesting their, their organs. How can this administration 
allow this to happen and and be the catalyst to this. It's sickening. No, you're right. And and they are serving as a magnet. And those people are often told that their journey is going to be short, that they'll pay their certain amount of money, which they're funding criminal organizations by doing that. And then they say, oh, it's just a few miles. Well, I've spent time in that Arizona desert in June and July when it's over 100 degrees and you're and you're walking through the desert and there is no way that you can do that without resources. And a lot of these individuals have no resources. They have a jug of water and that's about it. They're being lied to by the coyotes and they're being lied to by the American government run by Joe Biden, who sees these people as future voters and pawns. And that's why we're in this situation. They need to be held accountable. We're so happy that you're in Arizona doing that. I wish you the best of luck on your race. I wish Carrie Lake the best of luck on hers. And boy, let's turn Arizona red again. I think that sounds like a great idea. Yes. Thank you, Tommy, for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. Still ahead. PayPal is in the hot seat after posting an error, which didn't seem like much of an error at all. But my final thoughts are next. PayPal accidentally showed us exactly who they are. And despite their best excuses, they aren't fooling anybody. It's time for final thoughts. Big tech colludes with big government and big pharma and big BS to push leftist friendly narratives. No, duh. We know this. It's a tale as old as, well, the creation of social media. But the latest brazen and then apologetic offender is PayPal. Over the weekend, the company released its new acceptable use policy set to take effect on November 3rd. And it came with a not so thinly veiled threat update that stated users would be penalized for the sending, posting or publication of any messages, content or materials that promote misinformation or present a risk to user safety or well-being. And those in violation would be slapped with a $2,500 fine that would be taken directly from their PayPal account. Uh, Come again, PayPal? Do they really threaten to dip into the accounts of users if they, the self-appointed wardens of truth, fact, and science, deem certain content to be misinformation? Um, yeah, they sure as hell did. But after this little communist-esque policy update was flagged by users and the backlash grew to an unavoidable level, PayPal said this new addition, clearly inked in black and white, was an error. And what they mean by that is they got caught being communists and had to apply the PR tourniquet so as not to hemorrhage any more users. But their half-ass and BS apology didn't convince the public because not only did the incredibly biased and selected Twitter algorithm allow delete PayPal to trend, but global Google searches for delete PayPal spiked 1,392%. Why? Because we see you, PayPal. We've seen this song and dance before, and amazingly, that misinformation that gets flagged and then punished just always happens to be conservative, vaccine-critical, and or mostly and the damn truth you all, for some reason, don't want to get out. Again, I'll say, if these platforms run by libs and commies really believed their precious truth to be so self-evident and sturdy, they wouldn't have to cleanse all opposition. Because when truth comes to the door, the BS must go out the window, and that is what scares them most. Yeah, PayPal, it's not misinformation you're afraid of, it's the truth. And the very real threat of the truth, prompting people to change the way they live, vote, and what they're willing to give up or put up with. Big tech, like our government, is run by a bunch of cowards. Guess what? We don't need your green-haired Silicon Valley employees to protect us from information, okay? We got it, we're solid. The narrative is crumbling, folks, and that means these tyrants are going to work even harder and go even further to prop it up. Stay vigilant. 
The only thing these liberals feel, fear more than Donald Trump is the truth. But speak it anyway. Those are my final thoughts. Don't forget to catch the entire show on Outkick.com, as well as exclusive content from Nashville. God bless and take care.